Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. We are back here on the Mike Abadir Show, December 5th, 2019. This is Gino Bacola, always next to the main man, Mike Abadir. Happy holidays, Mike. It feels it's like we missed one week. It feels like we haven't talked for uh, for months and months. How was your know, Thanksgiving man. and how was your holiday? Outstanding holiday. Great for sports. You know, a lot of good matchups coming up this weekend and on through the holidays. Obviously, bowl games, you know, are at the forefront potential playoff matchups, a little basketball intrigue. But, you know, we talked entertainment um, with Game of Thrones, and, you know, we dabbed into that a little bit. I was just going to ask you, are you a Vikings fan? Did you watch that season premiere doubleheader last night? No, I have Fan- not. Fantastic. Okay, I'll have um, to get into it. Have, now, have you watched it. a series at all? No, no, okay. I haven't. And, I'm, and I've watched a lot, of, a lot of different shows. It's just one that I, have never, I haven't really got into yet. So I'll have to, uh, I'll have to ch- uh, bookmark that and, and put it on my list. Let me tell you something. To me, that and Game of Thrones were one on one A. Okay, because right now, there. Yeah, I'm on. Let's see. So a couple of the things that I'm I'm on right now. Uh, I've started watching The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, the new Star Wars series, which is really good. Um, I'm into Shameless season ten on Showtime. Uh, the Morning Show on Apple TV is like a really bad good show. It's like awful, but it's kind of like a soap opera that I want to watch. And I, I like some of the people in it with Carell and Aniston and, uh, and Witherspoon. I've been, um, and then I'm I'm gonna watch, the, sit down and watch The Irishman sometime soon. I keep hearing about that, but I think you have to set up for like five hours of your life when you. Yeah, watch I watched that super long, super yeah. long. So it, um, it's it's kind of deeper. It's not necessarily like Goodfellas, or it's a little bit different, but it's got that same Scorsese, Scorsese element like to it, you know. It. And but then yeah, they really, really Valley. developed guys. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, I dropped off a of Shameless a couple of seasons ago. I got my own reasons. It just got a little bit too liberal for me. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I'll just leave it at that. But um, how is that Star Wars? Uh, I mean, it, you good. Get Disney Plus, is it worth it? Is that- yeah, you know, I love the Disney Plus. It's, it's pretty cheap. And, um, I mean, if there's going to be a, a new episodes of, Mandal- of Mandalorian. And then I can go back and watch everything. Disney from you know the, my past and so for me someone like this is super nostalgic because I grew up a like in the Disney Channel era you know when the Disney Channel was becoming like a really big channel and so I was watching all those old like even Steven shows and there's to- there's so many like made for TV movies that I watched that I just will throw on in the background while I'm doing work which is fun and now with the with Milo with the little guy now I'm gonna have to introduce him to all the old Disney movies that I like through the yeah, years. Yeah you so. might as well subscribe right? Exactly now this is one of the great things about being a dad now is that I get to get in- involved with all the old toys and games and I get to-, to play with all the cool stuff that I haven't for years so yeah it's it's going to be a lot of fun. That's pretty neat. And you, you got a good excuse to do it. So even if, if you like it more than he does, nobody else needs to sure. know about it. You know, sure. so yeah. no, that's good stuff there. Yeah, I'll have to check out the Mandalorian. Obviously, I saw some of the uh, Baby Yoda stuff uh, that was uh, circulating around the social media. There was there were some pretty funny clips. If, oh, yeah. uh, if you look around for Baby, Baby Yoda, good stuff there. One other show I'll mention, and I got the Epic subscription, and that's Get Shorty. Oh, absolutely nice. okay. fantastic. And it's funny because uh, Ray Romano's in it. 
Is that his real name or the yeah. Raymond show? That's yeah, it. yeah. yeah. Uh, Ray Romano's in it. And uh, oh my gosh, I blanked on his name. His name is Miles Daly in the show. Irish guy from uh, Bridesmaids and, and some other uh, hit movies and stuff like that. Anyways, though, bottom line, really, really, okay. really good comical drama series. I think both of those, knowing you, Gino, you'll really like both. But Vikings, oh man, it's, I, I would almost top it over Game of Thrones only because it's been consistently good from beginning to end and it hasn't ended yet but I mean there's there hasn't been that down series yet so last okay, night I'm excited had, I'm gonna yeah, add, I'm gonna add double it on. Uh, opener so um, you know we don't talk much about entertainment stuff uh, outside of sports any of our listeners out there I, I can vouch for Vikings it will not disappoint okay it's on it's on the list and uh and then obviously now now it gets into the holidays. So I know this is not definitely not your style, but I am a I love the Christmas movies, especially like the corny ones. I'm not as big like I'm okay with some of the Netflix ones. They're okay. I'm not as huge on like the the ABC ones, but my mom made me watch a lot of those. Yeah, like uh, Hallmark Channel where yeah, they start yeah. they start them on October and you watch it. There's Christmas movies all the way through November. I don't mind throwing some of them in the background. And now Netflix has some really corny ones. There was what a series that we just watched the other day called Merry Happy Whatever, where it's like it's such a cliche. You can literally guess the punchline to every joke 30 seconds before it happens, you know, but it's just, it's just something to throw on in the background. If you, I if love you're, all those. There's always kind of like that sexual tension or like that love interest tension and they just, hate each other at first and then they end up, you know, falling in love and, and families and, and, at the Christmas time and you yeah. have to be the, it's just, Oh yeah, it's so bad. Like you can just, <laughs> it's, it's good. I, I, I'll do it for like a month of the year where I'll be okay with the really, really bad stuff. So, um, yeah, th- that's what's great about this era, though. I mean, the shows that look at what I just mentioned, we just mentioned like 10 different shows and like they're all on every one of them is on a different network, too, or like a different platform, a streaming service, a different channel somewhere to find it. So that's what's crazy about nowadays is like you're talking about a couple shows that you like that aren't really even on my radar. I mentioned five that are on your radar. So. Um, I'm always looking for for no, great entertainment to to kind of throw on in the background because I I, I love to consume the, the content out there now. So yeah, and that's we're a good in a, point by the way era. because I mean, look, I thought the whole cord cutting thing was about saving money, but the reality of it is, <laughs> if you like Game of Thrones, you got to get HBO. If you want to watch this, you got to get that, and so on and so forth. When you add it all up, it could very easily get to be about the same cost as cable. Yeah, and I mean, if we if we want to talk about money and and penny pinching. That's been a, a discussion over at USC. You, you see how my transition goes yeah, oh yeah. over there. Oh yeah. Over, oh yeah. over there. Is, with, it, is it a money issue? No, and but that's what they're trying to make it seem like. Though there's no money issues at USC, especially when you have donors and you have alumni who are so heavily involved in and are so invested in the sports programs that if if you needed to go, especially at a place like USC, which is a private school, if you needed to go. Get a bunch of money to pay, you know, out the wazoo the for of a, of a, a, a buyout or yep. to, to, to have a huge contract for the next coach that you're going to bring in or for anything. You know, there's some issues at USC with lots of some lawsuits and different things happening. But I'll tell you what, if it was for the benefit of the sports program, there are a lot of people who would fork up tons and tons of money. No questions asked. They don't mind. And the opposite's happening right now with the re, with the the news that Clay Helton's going to come back as the head coach. I mean, I have seen and heard of the amount of emails, phone calls the athletic office is getting, uh, 
people that are pulling their donations, people that are pulling their season tickets. And I read a really good article. Um, reportedly, they said it would cost USC around $20 million to, um, to buy Helton out. That would be the, the amount. Well, there was something interesting that um, showed the figures of the ticket sales and the attendance of the USC games at the Coliseum over the last few years. So in 2017, there were over 77,600 fans per home game. That dropped the average in 2018 to 55,449, and they were five and seven. This year, they were a little bit better, so it was 59,000, but we're still talking about 18,000 less that were coming per game in 2017, and that's going to get worse next year. It's going to be worse because people do not like the fact that this was a new athletic director, a new president. They had the opportunity to kind of wipe the slate clean and start over, and they did not do so. And so there are a lot of frustrated people out there with this result. And But, I mean, winning well, takes care of that. It sure. Right? And especially, I mean, they play Alabama in week one next week, next year. And yep. so the, pro- the problem for USC is if you come out and you get shellacked in week one by Alabama, your season's basically done. You're playing again for just a Pac-12, which, you know, just the Pac-12 sound like a lot of people go, oh, man, you're a spoiled fan base when you think that way. We, the, the difference is we're, we're talking about USC and they are in that select few of five to ten, you know, schools that should think that way. They do belong on the list with the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Oklahomas, you know, that are those top, top tier programs. And when you look at all of the numbers from Clay Helton the last few years. I mean, it starts with 13 and 11 in his last 24 games. It starts with numbers like they have a, uh, there were 112th this year in the nation in turnover margin. They were ranked 124th in penalty yards per game. Like those aren't even win, wins, losses things, Mike. Those are the things that you look at immediately when you say, is a coach a good coach or not, right? Like penalties turnovers those are the things that we immediately say ah, like a well-coached team they win the turnover battle and they don't get penalized a whole lot and those are the first two things that we look at with helton and it's in his four years 2016 they were 67th in turnover margin 2017 they were 80th 2018 they were 120th and 2019 they were 112th they've gone down in penalty yards per game every year they went from 114 to 122 to 123 to 124 <laughs> we're not. We're talking about USC right now. Well, there's so a there, seven- there's kind of a theme though, right? Because uh, one of the statements that I had heard, or maybe a prevalent thought process, was he's getting better kids, better quality kids. He's running the program cleanly, and that that was maybe kind of an edict from the top. Like, hey, we don't want to get in trouble. We don't want to deal with the Reggie Bush issues. We don't want to have wins stripped. We don't want to have Heisman stripped. We don't have national championships or Pac-12 titles stripped. And Helton is going to be that guy that does it ethically. Yes. Do, do you think that that's 100%? Because nobody could argue that, like, oh, okay. No, no, you know? he's a, he's a do you ver- think that's a BS kind of, uh, I do. like, hey, every, we could sell it? Yes, he's a great guy, a great human being. I don't, I don't think any person has, I've heard anyone say that he's a bad guy. The problem is but now. I, sorry to interrupt, but I guess my question more so is not debating whether Helton is or isn't, but do you think that's really what? USC and the donors and uh, you know the people at the top president whomever are really interested in I think the new president and the new AD are and I don't okay. think they okay. quite I don't think they quite realize the backlash that is going to come at an athletic organ at an athletic school like USC a school where the athletics are the biggest 
deal. And that's where you're getting the most money. And so, you know, going over those numbers that I mentioned before, if there were 15,000 less per game at the USC games, that e- that e- equals to nine ninety one thousand for the season less. And they were doing a rough estimate at just a hundred bucks per person there. That's nine million dollars that they lose in one year. So we're talking about two years. That's basically your twenty million from eighteen in two thousand nineteen. Sure, and that's now two thousand. I mean, they're not getting that from baseball or from well, volleyball. No, or from and we're not even else. talking. Like we're not even talking about merchandising, and and things like that. Like I made a perfect example. I haven't and I and I haven't gone to a USC game in a couple years, and I would go to three or four a year, and I could go for free if I want. Like I really could get the tickets. You know, like I just I'm I'm not as into it right now. I know that they're not like playing. For a title, I've been really like had some issues with their leadership, with the, their hires, and so for me, I'm I've been a little bit frustrated. So I'm not out buying new shirts, and I'm just one person. But I'm not at USC games spending extra money, parking, con- concessions. Not I don't have any new jerseys the last couple years or anything like that. And so if that's me, I've seen a lot of people. If you look at the tweet from from athletic director Mike Bone. Like, you just look at the responses. There's not one positive. There's not one that's like, oh, yeah, Clay Helton, he's coming back. We love this guy. He should be an administrator. I think Clay Helton could do a, a lot for USC or he could do a lot for any football program, just not as your head coach. It, it just takes a little different type person to be a head coach. There are like, num- like stat after stat after stat. He's lost by double digits in 61 games 12 times. 12 times in 61 games, USC has been beat by double digits. Pete Carroll in 116 games lost by 10 or more three times. You know, I, we, it's just a different standard set, whether it's no, fair or it not at say, USC. Is that an impossible standard to kind of compare it to? In, in, I mean, the best, you know, one of the best runs in history of sure, football. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of us at USC think and we want a little more than what's realistic year in and year out, but there's no reason why. Uh, I think kind of another point to piggyback. This has been a pretty down era of the Pac-12 in basketball and in, foot- and in oh, yeah. football. So we're we're not talking about USC losing to superior, really good, you know, a, a great UCLA team or these incredible Washington teams or even these great Oregon teams. We're talking about them losing to mediocre teams. They're three and five overall against Power Five out of conference teams with Clay Helton as the head coach. They're thirteen and fourteen against Power 5 conference teams with a winning record. They are 11-11 and 11 against Pac-12 teams with a winning record. I mean, that just right there shows you they can't beat good teams. Everybody said, and, and, and athletic director Mike Bone said, man, they finished strong this year. You know, USC finished strong this year with, with a couple consecutive wins. Well, the, the opponents of USC the last three weeks that they beat, they were a combined 9-14 and 14 in conference. I, we're not talking about beating... Even mediocre teams. We're talking about just beating teams that when you have talent, you're so much better than. There's USC should never really lose four they or five the teams, teams that they should they should be beating anyways. It's not something to give them praise over. No, and, and any coach could do that because you're going to get substantial talent at USC. The problem is, is that they are not going to in the next few years right now. And I think this will improve. Now, I'm, I'm being a lot negative, but USC is currently ranked. They were number 77 in the nation in recruiting. 77. USC is a perennial top 5 to 10. Like if their recruiting class is like top 15, that feels like a down year. They are ranked 11 of 12 in the Pac-12 right now. 
And if you're just you, based on average, I think their average per player rankings was like sixth out of twelve. They don't have a, uh, they don't need a lot coming in in the next class, so they they won't be a top five class. I'm sure this class will move up to where it's like twenty five to thirty or so. But it's scary how bad things are at USC because there's been a, like people didn't know two years ago if Helton was going to come back, and then last year they didn't know if he was going to come back. So it's been a lame duck situation where some recruits have just decided to go elsewhere, and I think that's going to be the issue again because people he didn't get a, a contract extension and he shouldn't have. So now everybody's just wondering, okay, what if next year in the in, in the opening game they get the crap kicked out of him by Alabama? Then what happens? Then all year is it going to be the same thing? Like he loses one game to another team that they shouldn't lose to, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, the best USC can do this year is is lose two games and maybe get back in the Rose Bowl. You know, I think the most telling thing of everything that you said isn't even the uh, ticket sales because it's LA and LA is a finicky sure. city. You know, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of entertainment, and uh, you know, it's not a huge sports city all in all. But with that said, everybody wants to be here. So the, to me, the most telling stat that you cited was about the recruiting. Zero of 20. I mean, of how the top can you want, rather recruits. go to Mississippi State or Syracuse or, you know what I mean, on a national Anywhere. level, yep. then you'd bring it down into the Pac-12. I mean, or is there, in I mean, Utah, they're going I mean, to all, you know, they're going there. They're zero you know, of the top 20. They have one of the top 25 recruits in California, and he's number 25. And think about how many of those are coming from L.A. itself. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many players L.A. produces, the L.A. area? I mean, really, you know, it's L.A., Bay Area, you know, Texas and Florida. That's You're going to get that's... like 80% of your top, top to your prospects out of those areas. Right. And we have it here in our backyard, so it's no excuse. And somebody, uh, one of the top level recruits, dad, just was on record and saying, we didn't even, I mean, we wanted to go to USC. And when, with the Helton stuff, and they didn't have a new head coach and this and that, we didn't even think about it. Like, they weren't even on our short list of four. And it was a really good couple paragraphs of like a quote from one of the fathers that said, I talked to a couple parents of other high level recruits and they felt the same exact way. You know, these kids and they, they all talk to each other, their families, they know where they're going. They play together, you know, on, on other teams, they train together. And, um, it's just not, a, it's not positive. I don't, I don't think they, and it's scary to me that I, that the athletic director and the president didn't understand what this response was going to be. Cause if they didn't, then I'm, I'm already shaking my head and going, this is going to be a long tenure for them. And this is after a couple tenures that were not very good, where the wrong coaches were hired. And we're looking at about, um, you know, a 10 year period or so of USC football where they really have like one big win, like a Rose bowl win against Penn state. That wasn't even in like a national championship situation or a college football playoff. Like USC has not been, I think there have been three or four Pac-12 teams in the college football playoff. Never USC. Um, th- I mean, that, that's got to change. And same could be said for the for the entire Pac-12 as well. You know, it just like you said, it's a down conference. Mm-hmm. Haven't been producing. And could you imagine like Alabama would be crushing a down L- uh, SEC? Oh yeah. You know, Wait, well, no, what, what's the, la- what's the last Pac-12 team that's even made it to a championship level it must have been oregon it was oregon like the initial one i think it was the first year when they had it oregon washington's been in there once but they got beat up uh they had like a decent year or two with peterson he just stepped down he got a little bit burned out and now utah looks like they may have an opportunity and utah's a pretty good team what's funny utah's lone loss this year was to usc yeah yeah (laughs) it's great you know (laughs) and they're not even that good so who yeah well, I'll tell you what, Gino. I mean, I think that 
this is one of those things where, you know, it's it, the obvious statement is, well, time will tell. I think that, you know, another obvious statement is a truth, which is winning makes everybody forget about Helton. And, hey, I think I, I, I want to say this, and, and we'll have to uh, take a quick commercial break, but I think the success that LSU's had is really, really coming back into their subconscious, into their psyche. And they're thinking, be. you know what? We had our guy, and we got impatient with him, and we let him go. And now he's going to be coach of the year. Maybe the national championship will be brought to his university. That could have been us. What if the same thing happens with Helton again? Now we let two head coaches go who find success elsewhere. We're going to be looked at as fools. Yeah. And I think that has You're to right. kind of be a part of the thought process. I think it is part of the process, although it's it's dead wrong if you just know the two of them. But you're you're right. Like this is how they're kind of spinning it in their head because you could tell immediately with a guy like Ed Orgeron, he was one of the best recruiters ever. Like that was always his thing because he goes and sits down in a living room with a family and he's got he's just like a, a cartoon character with that big voice and he's oh, like yeah. a big it's like he walks in there and he says, I'm going to do, I'm going to run through a brick wall for your son. I'm going to do yeah, everything yeah. I can for him. You know what I mean? I will, I will no to him. and you, and you really don't. And, and he's kind of become just such a lovable character. And I think the thing about Clay Helt, like we know there were specifics always that Ed Orgeron did well. The question about him was, could he be a head coach of a program and not just like a really good coordinator and not just a really good coach? The problem was Clay Helton was never even a really good coordinator. He was just a guy. He was just another guy who kind of got elevated because they needed some stability. And he's never really had a strength. There's nothing that he does particularly well besides be a nice guy. And it gets to a point where that's just not enough anymore at USC. Well said, man. I completely agree with everything that you've said. And, uh, you know, we'll... Obviously, you know we we may sound like SC homers. Gino's an SC fan. I like good quality of football. I like being able to recruit for NFL players in my own backyard, and it's it's tougher and tougher when they're producing less players out of this area from Fresno down to UCLA, SC, San Diego State, etc. Options are kind of limited, and you'd think that there would be a ton out here. But yeah, everybody's competing for the same four or five guys. You know, your, your chances aren't very good. Uh, Gino, let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll talk about some of the big NFL matchups this coming up week. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lee Mont Williams. 
Each week, join Limon as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps, on and off the field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's December and Jim and Trav's Big Game Breakdown is in full swing this week on The Revolution as the boys prepare for post-rut hunting action. Joining them is Greg Gritz, host of Huntmasters, Keith Mark from Great American Tales presented by Hunter Nation, Steve Nessel, Yamaha Motorsports Marketing Manager, and Eric Rice, Operations and Sales Manager for Sticky Holsters. The Revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show, we're going to get the transition on over now into football. And Mike, you know, there this week, there are a couple really good games on on paper like some weeks it's just a down week there might be four like top tier games this week and then another game that's really important when it comes down to to playoffs in the AFC with your Raiders who have had a few weeks of struggling but they still have a big game and still have an opportunity to get back in the mix with a home win this week I mean, where do you want to start? We have Ravens, Bills, 49ers, Saints. We have Chiefs, Pats. We have Seattle against the Rams. Well, first I want to say the NFL needed to have a week with competitive games because the reality of it is that pretty much the NFC teams, I think the six that are there are the six that are going to go. Probably it's just the only be a one matter of maybe be flip. the Rams, and if they if maybe. they win, it, they need a little help from the Vikings. You know, they might be able to sneak in if they get hot, but the Rams have a tough schedule. I mean, they got to yeah, play. Yeah. That's the problem. They got to play still Seattle and San Francisco, um, you know, in two of their last four games. So they're they're and they have they'd have to win both. There's no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have to go three and one. The Rams at the very least. And they would need Minnesota to go two and two. Um, and Minnesota is a good team. So, I mean, they, they need a little luck, but I don't think there's a lot going to be a lot of movement is your. Yeah, point. I think I think in, the, in the, the NFC is kind of set. Yeah, I think the six that are there are set. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, where where the where the seating is. And uh, this week will probably uh, go a long way into giving us some clarity because the Saints and the Niners play head-to-head. And I think that's probably a pretty good place to start. It's kind of funny because it reminded me what happened last week. Niners going from the top all the way to the five. 
Um, it kind of reminded me of what, what kind of happened in, in our fantasy leagues as well as other wow. fantasy leagues, too, where you have like five teams of the same record and teams that are going from the one seed down to the fifth or sixth seed. Uh, I, obviously, I was the one hurt by it. You're the one that benefited. I jumped by all it. the way up. Yeah. yeah so congrats to you. To you know, it's crazy in league number one. Halftime in the early games, if everything stayed as is, I'd be the, the one, one seed. It's really crazy. And I think that just shows how competitive the NFL is this year. You know what? You know, most are really close. We're like this. Like if I'm when I, I'm in five leagues and I was lucky enough to make the playoffs in all all of them. But none of them did I have a record where I lost less than four times. Every one of them was like a really competitive league. And every, I didn't have one league where there was a team that had just one loss. Yeah, and I think league. last year the league we were in, I believe one of the teams was Craig. a one or two lead. Yeah, Craig was crushing. Yeah, Gus's team was cut was crushing like throughout. And this year was just a much more well balanced league. Like league, it was it was more fun and just a little bit frustrating come playoff time because there's some teams that like you, you thought you were sitting good all year and then all of a sudden now you're in a playing game or you have an oh, extra yeah. week or yeah. And so. I think that a lot of the fantasy players out there are going to walk away with a pretty big lesson going into the next year, which is not to get too cute with the lineups. You know, sometimes I have a, I'm the worst at this. I'll get a little bit cute and be like, you know, I think this random guy is going to come bust out a, a big game. You know, and this year, that was the year not to do it because, you know, like I said, you had four or five teams that are like eight and five and the points are going to matter. So if you give away 10, 15 points, you know, three, four weeks, that right there is the difference between three seeding spots. Now, we don't have like home field advantage. So really, it doesn't really matter unless you get the buy. Right. I mean. Is there really a big detriment when everybody's no. kind of the same quality no. between a third seed and a sixth seed? You know, so uh, it'll be fun, though. I think the playoffs will be fun. And, um, you know, one of the things I got cute with is I took out Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson last week because they're playing the Patriots. Sure. And that was the difference between me winning in both my final games. And, and I, so I cost myself a one seed by 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 getting stupid and, and taking out Deshaun. But I'd seen the Patriots kind of do it to a lot of different quarterbacks and teams. And uh, as we see, though, and especially O'Brien, it seemed like yeah, O'Brien, exactly. they were just like this. They would destroy him every time as a well, former. And here's the thing. I think we're starting now to see what the formula is in terms of doing well against the Patriots, which is to have that mobile quarterback. Yeah. Right. Because now the teams that they've lost to had Lamar and had Deshaun. And each of those guys had brilliant games passing as well as running the ball. They each scored touchdowns in both those games. So I think that is going to be the kryptonite for, for the Patriots. And unfortunately for them, both those teams that we're talking about are in the AFC. Well, and so the I think that makes the AFC picture. And I remember seeing a tweet that you replied to to somebody. Uh, it was somebody that's got like good opinions, but they were basically like, go ahead and give the Pats the Super Bowl and, and the number one seed. And you kind of came back. I don't remember who it was or exactly what you said, but it was something along the lines of, come on, man. It's way early in the process. It's mm -hmm. a competitive league. We can't just hand it over to them. And we're starting to see that that's really the case, despite their 10-2 and two record. I think a lot of teams are going to look at it and say, well, they really feasted off of a really, really bad division where they could have their way with Miami and the Jets, and that's four wins right there. Right. They don't so, have, and they don't have, um, just from like a personnel standpoint this year. Like people laugh when you when you think about it. Like the Browns are a more talented team than the Patriots. You know, like I mean, if you if you flip those two rosters, like they're not a they're not an overly talented roster this year. They're just a great. Offense. 
they have no playmakers who offensively like if you if you can take Edelman out of the game now who offensively scares you for them it's just a and Edelman I, is to me is I view him as a possession type he's receiver. 100% you know he's he not going to be that guy that's going to stretch the field nope. I, I think they would have a tough time coming back against teams in the playoffs except for the fact that for whatever reason Belichick must be a good mathematician or something because haven't you watched games where you'll see even the, the rare games where they're down like 21 to three or something. And then they'll take a field goal. And it's like 21 to six. You're like, what is he doing? And then, and then they'll take another the one. And it's like 21 to nine. Right. And then it's like midway through the fourth quarter and then they get a touchdown and it's, and it's 21 to 16 or 17 or whatever. Right. And you're like, man, they were really, really patient and stuck with it. So that's, that's the, the biggest asset for the Patriots is their head coach. Yeah, and this is the time of the year where we get the are the Patriots done talk, you know? Like it happens every year where they they have like that bad two or three week spurt and I'm I'm going to pick against them this week. I think this is going to be their like another bad game where we start to go, "Oh, are they done? Are they done?" And then, and then they'll probably clean things up and be fine and win a game or two in the playoffs, but I'm really concerned with them because now um this was a good uh, – I was reading on, on Pro Football Focus who ranks all the players individually and all the plays and everything. And they said, you know what? Tom Brady's really really not been bad. He's actually like the number 10th overall ranked quarterback. He's He has an 80 grade, and the best quarterback in the league has a 90 grade. And if you look at the quarterbacks who are in front of him, Wilson, Breeze, Cousins, Lamar, Rogers, Stafford, Dak, Deshaun Watson, and actually your, your guy Carr who's been pretty good up until the last couple weeks. And so – it's not really Brady. They're just saying he's just not good enough anymore to be able to carry them. And they don't have the complementary pieces. Like in this game in particular that they're playing this weekend against Kansas City, if you're just doing a draft based on the running backs and the tight ends and the receivers, so the skill players for these two teams, how many Kansas City Chiefs would you pick before you picked one Patriot? Maybe four? I would go Hill, Kelsey, uh, Watkins, McCoy, and then maybe you're going Edelman or James White. Like, I mean, and, and we're like James White is their best weapon and he's just like, out of the backfield. I, I like James White quite a bit, but he's not like going to scare anyone. And so that's the thing when you line up across this team offensively, they just don't have a lot of players that are going to make plays. I had read, and I didn't really know this, but I had read some, some stuff about how Tom Brady was the one that was the most like aggressively pushing to try to keep Antonio Brown and to yeah. and to get Antonio Brown because he he's not stupid he knows he sees this group of players and he's like wow I don't have even like a Danny Amendola who went and made some plays for me sometimes I don't have a Gronk as my safety crutch here like you know I, I don't like Sanu hasn't done a whole lot for me since they brought him in we we expected a little more from him like he just he can see the writing on the wall I think and and. I don't like the body language from them. I don't know if you noticed the weird play uh, where they scored a touchdown and then they lined up to go for two, but then they took a delay of game, which was bizarre. It was like really non-Patriots and they had backed up their extra point and then they missed the extra point. And right now, you know, in, in a game like this, they don't have a kicker. They have major kicker issues. So anytime these games are close, which we're not used to close games with the Patriots, we're used to them just beating the crap out of everyone. Like they get in a close game and they miss an extra point like last week or they miss a field goal. And then now they're not quite as dominant. Compare them to a team like, you know, the Baltimore Ravens who have Justin Tucker, who's 66 of 68 this year on extra points and field goals at 97%. 
You know, they have the best special teams in the league along with a great offense and a great defense. So that I know that it's the little things on the margins now that are starting to catch up with the Patriots to me at least when I when I break down their team and their roster and, and like little things here and there that, that just didn't happen for them before. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's interesting that you you mentioned special teams because I was actually going to go down that path really quickly, which is, you know, people forget that yeah, to win championships, it's three units. Yes. Offense, special teams, and defense. But for whatever reason, when we're always ranking teams, when we're talking about teams, we're talking about how good their offense is, how good their defense is. If we're going to mention special teams, it's going to be what you said, which is the kicking game. But in order to be a complete team or a really good team, it's kind of like in baseball. We don't talk a lot about their gloves unless somebody's no. got a cannon in center field or right field or has got a great you know, uh, jump up, you know, save a home run highlight type fielding prowess, right? Uh, or bullpens. And you don't really even talk about them until you get to the postseason. Now, the last couple of years, that's not totally true because the bullpens have been in such the forefront. Before, we just talked about the closer. Do you have a shutdown closer? Now you talk about the bullpen as a unit and how that could actually win you championships. It's same thing with your fielding. And I'm going to say special teams is, is the same thing because mm-hmm. it's always discussed as, as a third of the game. But only gets a tenth of the discussion, if that. And when when you have guys like, for example, like Slater, this guy should be a Hall of Famer in the special teams unit. They're always going to give you an advantage over any other team when you have good field position. Like like Taysom Hill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it goes both ways, too. If If you don't give up big plays on special teams, and if you get big plays on special teams, and you shorten the field for your offense, you give the other offense a short, uh, a long field to work with, over time, that makes a big difference. It, may, it makes a huge difference. I remember watching a game not that long ago where uh, you know the average starting position for an opponent of the Patriots was like the 14-yard the line or something like that. And I think it got hurt by uh, holding penalties and stuff, which brought them back a little bit, right? But I mean, that's big. That's really, really big, especially when you get to the playoffs where one or two possessions are going to make the difference. Now, with the kicking game, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to address that. I'm sure they'll find some street free agent or, or figure out something. Yeah, they to actually tried to, to claim um, they tried to claim a new kicker, but the Colts and beat them to it. And the Colts have had. We'll talk about them in a minute. Yeah, Vinatieri's missed 14 of their own. Elite. I yeah. mean, when you compare him, he's missed 14, and you you, you look at someone like Tucker who. Tucker has made 37 straight fourth quarter field goals. Wow. 37 in a row in the fourth quarter. I mean, it's just, it's such a weapon when you know that you have that as like, like a crutch. Yeah. Right. You have Lamar, but then, you know, in the back of your head, like you, you could see the way that that game was unfolding against the the 49ers with the Ravens and everybody knew it was going to happen. They were just holding the ball, holding the ball, milking the clock, and they were going to give it to Tucker to kick a game winner. And he, he, he said something like, um, I want to hit what I think he said. I want to see it, the, it at like the 34 because then I know it's like a 50 yard field goal and I'm good. You know, he said, yeah. as soon as we get to a certain <laughs> point on the field, I know is it like it's 50 and I'm good. You know, it's just amazing. Like the confidence that he has there. And, um, and so like in this game, in particular, the Patriots, Kansas city, you know, Kansas city has an, like a number four special teams. They're using the DVOA rankings, which kind of rank, what, what I love them mainly because of what you were talking about. They rank your offense, your defense, and your special teams. And then they 
combine them all and give you a, a overall ranking of where your team lies you know, based on every play and everything. And so these are two of the top teams still, but Kansas City, to me, is a team that's kind of flying under the radar right now. You know, like we're hearing all the buzz about Lamar because he's been so good. I think deserved buzz. We're hearing the buzz about Wilson because he's been awesome. The 49ers are playing really well. Um, you know, now there's drama with the, the Cowboys and the Patriots. And really nobody's talking about Mahomes or Kansas City. And think about it. I mean, just a few months ago and all of last year, like he was the the thing, the guy, the new, the new flashy toy. And he missed a few weeks. He was a little banged up. But this team to me is kind of scary. They were the team that I picked to, to make the Super Bowl at the beginning of the year. And I was a little cold on them, you know, towards the the middle part of the season. And now they seem like they're really kind of rounding and trending back into form. And they're a three-point underdog going on the uh, the road to play the Patriots. The Patriots, though, are 21-0 in their last 21 home games. They're 16-5 and against the spread. I'm still going against them this week. I think that this is the week where the Chiefs can beat them. I just think there's too much... The Chiefs' skill players are good. They're getting healthier. And defensively, I think the Chiefs can just kind of slow down the Patriots enough to go back and forth with them. So I think this will be a good game. I don't think it's going to be as high scoring as the last time these two teams hooked up. But that's going to be one of, I think, the four plays I'll have this week is I'm going to go with Kansas City plus the three playing the Pats. Yeah, I think think you make some good points about the Chiefs. And I think a big reason for that, kind of uh, jumping off the Chiefs bandwagon is because defensively there have been uh, games where they just look mm-hmm. like they're, you know, giving up yards at will, points at will, and that type of thing. But it seems like they're kind of coming together now. They're, they're playing their best defense now. And December is the time to, to kind of gel and come together and and, uh, and and start dominating uh, defensively. And they look dominant I know that's a word that is often overused, but they look dominant against the Raiders. That defense it, shut them down. It felt like their bye came at such a perfect time this year for them, for the Chiefs. Like, it just, they got really, really healthy from Mahomes to, you know, a couple of the receivers. And as you mentioned, like, defensively, they're not good enough to miss a player or two or any of their key components on the defensive end and still be good. But when they're when they're at full strength, they're an average defense. I think they're ranked like the number 15 defense in the league. So they can be average to like slightly above average defense. And when their offense is, is healthy and you do have Mahomes, that's all you need from their defense. So, yeah, I think it was just kind of a, a stretch of games where offensively they had a lot of, you know, they didn't have a lot of their weapons. They were just kind of bringing in receivers off the practice squad, like next man up type. And then they had a couple issues, I think, on the offensive line and on their defense. Now they're healthy and they're starting to show like they have enough talent to win a Super Bowl. They're good well, and enough. The, the other thing, too, by the way, which I think people when they can't really grasp the running game and what it's all about, mm-hmm. it's tough for people to be able to kind of say, well, they, they're a good balanced offense. And they probably are more of a balanced offense than people realize. You know, last year, obviously, with Kareem Hunt, it was easy to be like, man, they got this brilliant guy out of the backfield who could catch the ball, who could run the ball. And, uh, you know, really, the defense can't cheat at all because, you know, you keep the defense honest with a running game and then, boom, you go over the top, makes Chiefs an explosive offense. Sometimes when you have a running back by committee, like the 49ers, like like the Chiefs, like several other teams in the NFL, rather than relying on a Zeke for the Cowboys as an example, it, it kind of – the 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 running game gets a little bit overlooked because you can't kind of grab onto that one guy. Makes you a little harder to defend. It, man, it makes it hard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because you have different types of you know running backs and different 
you know, they, they have, they bring a different skill set, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, McCoy, the Williams guys, Thompson, I mean, they say Thompson, Darwin Thompson might be the best, the best of, of all of them. Yeah. Right? Most talented, kind of purely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see kind of if, if this is the right formula for, for the chiefs or not. And I think this game will be very telling. It'll be telling in a lot of different ways, but I think most importantly, for their confidence to be able to do it against elite team. I think that'll kind of send the message throughout the league that you don't want to face them in the playoffs, that they're not a team that, uh, that can be taken lightly. And I don't think anybody would take them lightly, but I think it puts them at elite level. You know, Gino, I said, let's start with the Niners and, uh, and Saints. And then I kind of migrated our conversation over to the AFC, but let's get back to that one because I think that there is going to really determine the uh, seeding in, in, in the NFC in a lot of different ways. In my opinion, the Saints win this game. They probably lock up the top seed in, in the NFC, mainly because they already beat Seattle head to head. They would have beaten the 49ers head to head. That'll put them in a really good position. It'll put the Niners in a bad position because I think they will be kind of stuck in that five, six seed territory because they're not going to win the division against the Seahawks, most likely, if they get another loss. No, and they got to play, you know, so in their four games left, they still got to play the Saints. They still got to play Seattle and they got to play a rejuvenated Rams team. You know that I don't know how, how good the Rams are, but they're they looked better than they've looked all year. What and Noah's against a bad team, but they look better against Arizona than San Francisco looked against Arizona. So I'm saying I don't know if that's going to be just a, a walk in the park game like they might have thought a few weeks ago when you no, look at the No, if paper. I had to bet if I had to bet on, on things even from right now, I'll say those two two teams split. You yeah. know, there's the revenge so, factor. You know, they're not gonna lose to them twice this so year. We're talking it doesn't about happen in, with competitive teams. The 49ers just had to play the Packers, who they beat up. Then they had to go travel and play Baltimore. Then from Baltimore, they have to go to New Orleans. Like that's a brutal little stretch right there. And so I, I think that if both the from what I've seen so far this year, if both the 49ers and the Saints were like completely healthy on a neutral field, I would probably lean the 49ers because I think their defense is just really, really good. But in this particular spot, you know, you have the 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 Saints who played on Thanksgiving and they have a couple extra days to prepare for this game at home. I I just I would lean the Saints in here and the point that it's down to minus two and a half now. So you you you're not even getting the normal like three home that you get kind of kind of built in with the Saints. If it was like up at four, I would probably lean the 49ers because I think it's going to be a close game. But I, I have this game as a field goal, you know, like Saints 27, 49ers 24, a good game that the Saints and Drew Brees are able to win late. So I, I would lean them in, in this, the play in here. And I just think that we're going to see two of the top five teams in the league, maybe. I mean, these are like really, we talk about well-balanced teams. The Saints are the number five offense, the number seven defense, and the number five special teams. You know about their special teams. You know, they're a top special teams unit year in and year out. And the 49ers have the number two ranked overall defense based on DVOA, and now they've moved into having a top 10 offense as well, which was one of their struggles early in the season. These are just two really good football teams. They're well-coached. Like, if you're making a list of the best coaches in the league, I would probably put these two at least in the top 10 and probably in the top five. Yeah, I agree with everything that you're saying. I think the one thing that you're leaving out is their biggest weakness, that being the 49ers, which is Jimmy G. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he's yeah, I think he's the X factor. You know, um, man, have you seen some of these throws? Yes. He, I'm not just talking about the interceptions. bad ones I'm a game. That, that, I'm not talking about even the interceptions. Should be I'm interceptions. About, yeah, I'm talking about even incompletions where you're like, 
what kind of throw is that? Like, it's so off the mark. It's I, I haven't seen off the mark throws of that nature in a long time on a consistent basis like this. So he's having accuracy issues. And I think also when, once he starts getting hit, it seems like it gets in his head. Like in that Seattle game, man, he started getting beat up a little bit. And, you know, I don't know if he was seeing stars or or what what was going on with him. But I, as that game went on, he seemed less and less trustworthy. And I think you kind of nailed it, which is the Saints being at home. Yeah, I think if look, dome teams, typically speaking, are at their best at home, like most NFL teams. But especially so with these dome teams, because once they get out and play a playoff game in the cold, you know, in the snow or in the rain or with elements, um, you know, that really sets them back quite a bit. I mean, we saw that a, a couple of years ago, just even going on the road against the Vikings that year. Granted, they should have won. But remember that slow start that they had, you know, they were they were a team that could easily put up 30, 35 points a game, 40 points a game. And, and then that playoff game, I think they uh, had like three at halftime or six at halftime. They end up coming back and taking the lead, of course. But those type of things don't typically happen to them at home. They're a machine at home. And I think that that's going to be the key to them getting to the Super Bowl or not. I think if they have to go on the road, I don't have them going to the Super Bowl. If they're in the Superdome, they're in the Super Bowl. So that's kind of the way that I see it. Uh, so since uh, you, you made a pick there, I think the Saints are going to win this one somewhat comfortably. And I know that the Niners' defense is really, really good, but I think spot. I think that I think the the for, the Saints' offense, like you said, they've had a lot of time to prepare. You give Peyton that much time, he's a wizard. He's going to you know figure out where where to be able to strike against that defense and uh, and how to that defense. Kinda, is banged up a little. Tart, Jones, uh, Sherman, Taylor. You play a game against a, a tough team like Baltimore in the wet weather, and you're banging back and forth. There was only a field goal scored in the entire second half in that game. I think both of those teams are going to be a little bit banged up You know, this week after such a, a huge battle. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So I, I like the Niners there. I agree with you, by the way, on Kansas City against the Pats. The other big one is Buffalo and the Ravens. How do you mm-hmm. see that one playing out? I'm going with the with the Bills. Now, I wouldn't want to take this game at like any less than five. I think you can get five and a half and, and six maybe even in some spots with the Bills. I feel the same way. I think this is going to just be a low-scoring game. We have two teams that want to run the ball really well. I mean, we know about the Ravens rushing attack with Lamar, with Ingram, with Edwards. But, hey, Buffalo's not bad either. They have three rushers over 400 yards on the year with Allen, with Singletary, and with Gore. Funny enough, Gore has 552 yards rushing, Singletary 553. (laughs) So they're just a yard apart for the entire year. Buffalo's offense has just been slightly above average. That's all they need with a pretty good defense. Josh Allen has, I think, one interception in his last uh, seven games or so. He just is not turning the ball over. Buffalo's 8-3-1 against the spread this year. The same thing with the, uh, the Saints. They played Thursday on Thanksgiving. Buffalo's got a couple extra days to prep for this one I feel like one of these weeks the Ravens are going to come out flat and I still think they could come out flat and win this game I'm saying this is like Ravens 23 Bills 20 and so I'm going to take the Bills in here to cover I see it the exact same way as you do 
you, you know, just repeat what Gino said. That's that's what I think. But Baltimore just came off a very physical game against the 49ers as well. And when you kind of get beat up like that against a very physical team, it's not easy to just recover and be at your best. At your and then go on the road. And then go on the road and do it. So, by the way, for the record, for everybody that's listening, Gino was talking about the schedule for the 49ers. And, yes, it's a brutal one, especially with the difficult teams. Niners did something to mitigate that a little bit, which is they didn't fly back home to San mm-hmm. Francisco. They stayed out in Florida. Which they did uh, earlier in the year um, yeah. when they had multiple games on the road. I think it was before they went to Cincinnati uh, when they went from like Tampa, Tampa to Cincinnati. To Cin- yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that should help them a little bit alleviate some of the travel concerns and uh, get them familiarized with the time zone for any of the uh, point spread players that kind of look at that type of thing. Uh, really quick thoughts because we're about to uh, wrap the show up. It's gone by really fast. But uh, this weekend, uh, the remaining big games, Raiders and Titans, um, I don't know if it's a huge game, but it's a big game for both of them if they want to stay alive. Let's in the go picture. Raiders. I, I like the Raiders in this Me one. Too. I think they're going to bounce back. They've had two really, really crappy games in a row, and uh, it's, it's now or never pretty much. This is their playoff game. The next one that's a similar type of a situation in terms of must win, it's the Rams and the Seahawks. This is a tough one. I mean, it, the, the, my instincts tell me the Seahawks, but like you said, Maybe the Rams are kind of figuring it out and playing it together. And we're going to see if McVay means what he says. And he says, I've been an idiot not to use uh, Gurley as much. So we'll see if uh, if Gurley's back and if he can make the difference. And uh, and the last big one is the Giants and Philly, Um, just because Philly's got to win if 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 they want to kind of take a claim to this division, crappy division record wise. Got it. It's a kind of a must win if they want to stay in the game. Any thoughts on any of those games? Yeah, I'm going to play the Raiders, too. I think they bounced back. I mean, at halftime last week of the game, the Raiders had held the ball for over 17 minutes. They had 189 yards. Kansas City had 127, and they were down 21 to nothing. It was just some turnovers that it looked made the game look a lot worse than it really was, and they got the doors blown off them. It's a weather thing, I think, too, for Carr, and now they're back home. they got to get another playmaker in the mix because they've been hurt with Renfro, but I think the Titans are coming off that weird game last week where they were going to lose to the Colts most likely. They blocked the kick, ran it back, and then they, they scored on a... a and a turnover after that, so that score looked way better, like way better for the Titans than it was. I'm leaning the Raiders there, and in the, uh, I think the Eagles will win that game, so I'm not quite as high on that game. But the one other game I want to mention, uh, the Rams, I do think will bounce back because they, remember, they were going to beat Seattle. Zierline missed a 44 yard field goal to win the game. Yep, <laughs> at Seattle. I do remember. Yep, uh, and, and they were beating up Seattle that whole that whole game. Keep an eye on the Colts too. So, why don't you I, give us a quick summary? Which are your games you're taking? Uh, okay, so on the for me, the games. four. I'm not going to play the Rams as a play, but I think I would lean the Rams in that side. Uh, my four plays this week are the Bills uh, or the Saints, the Colts, and the Chiefs. And I'll just quickly mention the Colts again. Vinatieri last week, he killed them. He's crushed them at you know three or four times this year where he's missed extra points. He's missed field goals. I just don't think Tampa should be favored by three in this spot. Tampa is much better as a road or as a, like an underdog when they play a, a heavy favorite that they can maybe upset. They are not good in situations where they're the favorite. So I'm, I'm playing uh, the Colts here to try to get right back in the playoff mix. I'm taking Buffalo, uh, the Saints, the Browns, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, so I think the first time I've been back in the Browns, uh, they're on minus seven, seven and a half. Uh, if they get to seven and a half, I'm lukewarm on that, but definitely at seven, uh, I feel good about that. Uh, the Vikings at minus 13, I think they blow the lid off of the Lions in a must win game for them if they want to be in the picture. And uh, the Buccaneers minus three, I think the Colts are, uh, you know, 
in a difficult situation playing on the road and the Bucks kind of feeling good about themselves. So we haven't and, had too many head-ups this year. So I think that'll no. only be one of the first. I think we, we'll have to look back. Maybe only one. I that, think we've I had think. maybe one. And then the and then the Raiders and, and getting getting a point against Tennessee and then Seattle. I'm going to take Seattle minus one or pick them or wherever it's at. Uh, I think they win that game head-to-head. So the most games I've given out this year, and that's pretty much all that we have uh, time for, Gino. we got about 30 seconds left. Uh, let's talk about maybe a bull projection and maybe a bull contest that we could roll out uh, starting next week. What are your I, thoughts? Yes. We'll have to let's do it. Do it. I think we did the bull mania the last couple of years. It's a lot of fun. It makes the games a little bit more interesting too. And then each week we can kind of update the standing. So we'll start talking about what the, uh, we'll, we'll, what the prizes will be. But one of the, the prizes we always give out is we invite someone on for a segment of the show where they can be a guest host. So that'll definitely be, um, maybe a, a segment for two of the top finishers. will and then some prizes for the winners also. Boom! Let's do it. We'll 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 uh, we'll get out information on that in the uh, upcoming period here, and that's all the time that we got. Thank you for all the listeners and all your support over the years, and uh, wish you a happy, safe holidays. We'll be on during the entire month of December, and we'll be talking about games and hopefully giving out some winners. Have a tremendous sports weekend, everyone. See you same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.